Thank you for joining me on episode 64 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, we welcome back Dr. Marina Hoffman, wife, mom, and professor at Palm Atlantic University. When it comes to understanding how you were uniquely created, it will sometimes mean overcoming specific hurdles in your life. As a woman who suffered a car accident that almost took her life, Dr. Hoffman shares how she overcame depression and anxiety. Take a listen on how you can also take the steps to overcome depression and anxiety in your life. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, where we head on back to Florida with former Canadian turned Floridian, Dr. Marina Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman, thanks for coming back. I know you've you've been on a couple times, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you for coming back. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. So, Dr. Hoffman, you are a Bible professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University, which in and of itself sounds amazing. You have your book out, Women in the Bible, a small group Bible study, which you and I have uh, talked about a few times on the show, and we've discussed several of the women in Scripture. But today we're going to be talking about overcoming fear and anxiety and that just seems to be very prevalent in our culture today. I swear, I think every other news story you hear, it's about fear, it's about anxiety, it's about depression. And Christmas is kind of one of those times that it amplifies. It's supposed to be a time of joy and just great time with your family, but it just seems that there is a portion of the population that fear and anxiety amplify in the Christmas season. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about that today. And not just because you're a PhD and you know about fear and anxiety, but you've also lived it. You've also had to overcome that. So I'm just going to get right down to the point. So trauma that you have experienced, you've overcome fear, anxiety, depression. What happened to you? Well, we were coming home from northern Ontario, and we were taking the highway, driving about 65, 70 miles an hour, and the oncoming car, just his head dropped. He didn't take the bend in the road. There was some construction, so there was no meridian between us, and literally, he just plowed into us, and it happened so fast, Rachel. He didn't survive, so we don't really know what led to the accident, but here we were, absolutely devastated we had all kinds of very serious life-threatening physical injuries and thank god for one miracle after another that saved our life but of course we had a long road to cover not only physical but the trauma had just wreaked havoc on our emotions and our psyche and i had a brain injury so all this together my life was a mess rachel Mm mm-hmm So this is you and your husband. You said you were in Ontario at the time and you had no children at this time. Yeah. You know, I had wanted a child, but I have to say in hindsight, as painful as it was to admit, it was really the Lord's mercy. I wasn't able to look after myself for many months. My husband wasn't able. We had a live-in nurse and I just, 
it makes me sick to think if I had had a baby, I would have had to give that baby up for a year because I would mm. not have been able to care for it. So God is merciful. Sometimes, you know, he doesn't, he seems not to answer our prayer, but he knows what means much more to me. And as painful as it was to admit, I was thankful that the Lord hadn't given me a baby right away. Yeah. But of course, God in his wonder eventually did give me a little one. So I can only thank him greatly. Well, you and your husband, you get into this accident. How old are you at the time? I was 32. 32. Okay. And what kind of injuries? You said you had a brain injury. And I know that you had suffered quite a bit, but I really don't know what your husband suffered. Well, when the car was literally hitting us in the midst of it, he heard and felt the brakes disengage. So he didn't have any more control oh, on no. the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So he throws his body on top of me. And in that moment, he saved both of us. So his engine comes basically pushed by the other car into the driver's seat. No one knew how he survived. I mean, the the engine from our vehicle was lodged into his chair. Mm-hmm. But because he had thrown his body on top of me, only his hip got crushed. And I say only, I mean, it was a massive 12-hour surgery. Yes. His whole hip and all the parts are new. His ankle on the left side was crushed from it. But even his knees were untouched and the rest of his body was fine. He also broke eight ribs. So I don't want to understate his injuries, but he lived. And today you would never know it. He walks and you would never know he does have some pain. And somehow, miraculously, he didn't have a brain injury. So he had, you know, he was upset and not really himself for two or three months. Mm -hmm. But thank God his brain and emotions were okay because, you know, in time I would look after him physically, but he certainly was my anchor emotionally. And how long were you both in the hospital for? I was only in one week because after one week, my physical injuries and all the surgeries were passed for me. But I was so upset emotionally in the hospital that they discharged me so that I could spend the night with my family up north. Mm. Um, But I spent all day in the hospital and they were so sweet. I mean, the nurses who had cared for me were caring for my husband, Larry, and they treated me all the time. I wasn't even a patient, but they were always fixing me up and getting me a little blanket. So they were incredible. But my husband was in for, I think, a little over two months because he actually broke both ankles. So he could not walk at all. And, you know, he had to wait two months before taking another surgery till his lungs went down. So he had a lot of issues. So he was there for two months. But as soon as he got that cast off, he was back (laughs) home. Well, and I couldn't imagine having a crushed hip like that is that had to have been incredibly excruciating. And then you're you're in the or he's in the hospital for a few months. And then what was that like being home? You both are now home together after this accident. It's been a few months. What is life like day to day? Because it's not just the physical that you were going through, but there was a lot of mental and emotional that was happening. You know, I love that question because most people assume that as soon as we went home, things started to get better. But we went back to our house, but there was a sense that it wasn't our home anymore because life had changed so much, had changed radically for us. And we actually ended up moving not long after, just wanting to start over in a new community. But it was devastating because everything that had been our normal before seemed absolutely unreachable. You know, it to be honest with you, getting out of bed was a struggle. And I didn't want to leave the house and I didn't want to bother to brush my hair and get dressed. I mean, these are just the signs of depression, of hopelessness. And, 
the fear that I had no future. So why should I even try to get better? What was, what do you mean that fear that you had no future because of your injuries or what was, what was that fear? Yeah. Yes. To a great extent. I mean, I had just finished my doctorate and I had a job at a university. Of course I had to delay. I thought forever, but you know, I pretended that I wasn't nearly as bad as I was. And I said, can I just defer a year? But I sat there thinking there, I can't even speak. It took 60 days, Rachel, before I could say a single syllable. I could finally say the word yes without embarrassing myself, stuttering repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So I thought where I am today, there's no way that I'll be able to overcome all my limitations to stand in front of a bunch of students and teach them at a university level. I couldn't talk. I couldn't look after myself. And I knew that God could do the impossible, but it felt so impossible and so far from where I was that there was a sense of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't know about that. I didn't know that for a few months you couldn't even talk. Did you have to go through extensive? Because not only are you having to go through physical therapy, did you have to go through extensive speech therapy? I did, although I did not find the therapist very helpful. And honestly, I was very intolerant during that stage. (laughs) I wanted people to be perfect to me and exactly meet my needs or they could just leave. Mm -hmm. It was like a two-year-old. And now that I've had a two-year-old, I was like, wow, I had so much attitude. And I literally can relate to my daughter a lot of the time. So I was like, no, mom, that is not how you do it. And I think, how does she get this way? I think, oh, yeah, that is deep buried in me, too. So this speech therapist, she was so lovely. She was a person of faith, but she was not, I was not getting the results I expected. So of all Mm. things, right, so I remembered a movie I saw, which was called The King's Speech. And I remembered that in that movie, he could sing, but he couldn't talk hardly at all. So I thought, well, who knows? Let me see if it works. I started to sing and sing and sing. And sure enough, I could sing near perfectly. So I would sing around the house all day. I'd sing to my husband instead of talking to him. And then I would even in public try to almost sing song talk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of like, um, you know, modulation in my voice. Mm -hmm. And it really helped my speech. Then I did math puzzles and tried to learn the keyboard again. And combining music and math was the most interesting and fun way really of getting my speech back. And I mean, people saw the difference every every time they saw me. It was markedly better. I can see that in you being frustrated with your speech therapist because you're an incredibly driven person. And when you want something, you go and get it. And I can I can see that about you. This is not going as fast as I would like. This isn't going the way I would like it to be. And the fact that you took a lot of initiative on your own. So, okay, your husband and you, you're back at home. You're struggling with even getting out of bed. When, how long did it take you just to even get into the car to go on a drive? Well, I did what I had to do. You know, I would, we had a driver for many months because my husband couldn't use his ankle enough to drive and I just could not drive. So, you know, I had to go to therapy. I knew I would be far worse staying at home than I would be going to at least physical therapy. So I would get in the car when I really needed to as short a distance as possible. But it was many months later, we were in our, the new home in a much smaller community. And I remember, thankfully, I had improved enough that I was sitting on the couch kind of miserable because I wanted to go to the store and get a nice snack of some sort. And I was and I knew I was afraid to get in the car. So I was sitting there thinking, oh, it's just so annoying that I can't drive and all this stuff. And, you know, Rachel, there was a moment where I realized I was actually dying. 
Mm-hmm. And it was not the accident. It was not the injuries I had. It was actually because of my own choice to sit on the couch all day instead of get up and start getting my life back together to the best that I could. Who knows what that would be? Yeah. And so then I began to sit there still and I thought, you know what, I need to get in the car. And that day I decided I was going to drive, even if it was to back out of my driveway on this in the middle of nowhere. I mean, our roads were made of gravel that we'd had no like street lights. This was the quietest neighborhood. So I think I worked up to it the next day or maybe later that afternoon. I just drove literally three minutes down the road to the local small little market and got my snacks and came home. And you know what? I drove as slow as can be. And I'm sure I annoyed everyone. But that was a huge moment in my life. I was terrified. I was shaking. By the time I got home, I was literally panting, hyperventilating. But at the same time, Rachel, I was so proud because I had done this thing that was terrifying to me. And I realized in that moment that if I was going to wait until I overcame my fear, I was never going to do anything. But if I just started to face every fear to whatever extent I could every single day, then maybe I had a chance. Maybe I had hope. And sure enough, every time I faced my fear, I realized it wasn't so bad. I didn't get an accident going, you know, 10 miles an hour down this dirt road. Nothing Mm -hmm. went wrong. And the next day I thought I'm going out again. So pretty much every day I went to buy something. I don't know, (laughs) whatever it was, you know, I tried to buy one or two things. That's it, which was good because being in in a public place was anxiety ridden too. But I think the lesson I learned is that if we try to overcome our fears, we may never move forward. But we can face our fears dead on, trust the Lord, and just take a risk. Because taking that risk is better than not even trying. What I find funny is that what started this journey of overcoming is that you wanted a snack. Honestly, I think it was chocolate. I was like, I just need chocolate. I'm so depressed. I just need some chocolate. So, yes. But, you know, that's sometimes how the Lord works, right? In the little day-to-day things. And finally, we're ready to listen. And he'll take that moment to speak to our heart. And I knew it was from the Lord. It, You know, in part, I thought I'm dying. But in part, I think it was the voice of the Lord saying, this is not a path of life. And this is certainly not life abundant. And I'm noticing a theme in your in when you're sharing your testimony is that you had to make the decision. And and I'm not one that I believe me, I've gone through depression. I've had anxiety, you know, like I think most of us have, but I've never been clinically depressed or anxious. So I really struggle with understanding. So when I ask these questions, I really just want to understand. And from from what I have gathered, those that are able to overcome anxiety really just make the choice. I mean, is that what, because that's what I'm hearing from you. You just decided I'm, I'm going to choose to overcome this. I'm going to choose to get in the car and go a little bit further today and a little bit further tomorrow. I mean, it, is that what you really, you have to do to overcome? Well, Rachel, that's fascinating. I mean, I really haven't spoken to enough people that have been open about their struggle to know how most people get over it. My greatest experience is all these therapists who would say to me, well, that's okay. You don't need to be, you can be afraid of driving. You don't need to drive. We'll set you up with the driver. And I see how they were trying to help, but it wasn't helping the bigger picture Mm, of my life. So in a sense, I feel for me in my own journey, I really pushed back against what people were telling me. And again, you know, some, many of my therapists were people of faith to a degree, but even something in their words did not ring true to my heart. And I thought, of course, I need all this help now, but 
this is not where I'm staying. That's never God's plan for us to just leave us in the place of struggle and suffering, but to bring us through the suffering and through the struggle so that we can be better people, so that we can develop a character, a Christ-likeness, an empathy to other, all the beautiful things that come out of our suffering. But if all we do is maybe in self-pity and just keep like, just drowning in our suffering, Rachel, I don't think that will bear fruit in our life. You know, that sounds really familiar when you talk about, and I'm sure that these people, I mean, their hearts were in it. They were well-intentioned, but it did, did it just seem like they were allowing, giving you permission to be enabled? Does that make sense what I'm trying to ask? Yes, they did. That's exactly it. And I will say there was a lot of good advice from them. You know, they did a bunch of tests and said part of your issue is that your brain has been so beaten up and shaken up it's no longer producing endomorphins and all these other there's three or four things that you need in your body to not be depressed they give you hope they give you joy so I had a lot of things against me but again you know their advice that I could take some medication and also I could go for a walk and that's definitely what I decided to do mm-hmm. you know when you exercise when you start improving your health to whatever degree you can your body starts partnering with you in healing mm. and I definitely noticed that if I got out of the house for a nice 20 minute slow walk every morning and night I was starting to feel much better so a lot of things came about but definitely we need a spirit that wants to move forward in faith and in trust in the Lord not stay where we are or take these words of therapists as really a diagnosis of our future it might be how we are now but it doesn't need to define how we will be with God's restoration and power in our life right like where you are at the moment is okay yes you're you might need that driver for a little bit yes you you're going to be afraid but still push through that fear and make that your goal that eventually you're going to overcome this now you had said that getting pregnant uh contributed to your healing how so Yes. So I had come so far with willpower, with therapy, with the Lord helping me every step of the way with a community and support system. All the things in time came to be, but I could not get rid of this dark cloud above me. And, you know, there's a character in, what is it, Charlie Brown, right, that always seems to have a dark cloud above him. That was me. Mm -hmm. I could not bring myself to smile or to laugh naturally. At least I could bring myself after two or three years to, you know, pretend to smile um, for social skills. But here I got pregnant and I was so thankful, but also again, so scared. All my fears were just stirred up. And I thought, what if I can't look after this baby? What if I'm depressed? And, you know, what kind of mom will I be? I was very nervous about all these things. But at the same time, I was so excited. This was an answer to many years of prayer. And I was so joyful. And I thought, what's happening to me? It was so different to be so happy all the time. But sure enough, the doctor said, well, for some women, these hormones really help them overcome depression and anxiety. But beware, you know, you could have a very hard time after the baby. So the baby comes, and I'm still very happy. So I call one of the doctors I know, a heart specialist, but he's a person of faith. And I said, you know, something's very wrong with me. I'm still feeling happy, and it's been three days. He's like, well, I think it was a day at that point. He's like, well, don't worry. There's birthing hormones. And since you didn't take medication, you get all this like hormones in your body. It's so exciting after birth, right? Because mm-hmm. you decided of the option you took. So then three days I call him later. I'm like, I'm still happy. I don't think it's the birthing hormones. 
he's like, girl, just accept the Lord working in yeah. your life. But of course I didn't, Rachel. And six <laughs> weeks and I was in shock. I'm like, it's coming. It's coming. The depression will return. Three months. I was still nervous, but I'm beginning to think, I don't think these are pregnancy hormones. This is like a three month old baby. Well, at six months, it was Christmas time. And I said, Lord, I need to stop expecting my depression to return. And I need to thank you because you have truly, after about five and a half years, you've truly worked a miracle that was beyond my imagination because I'm not just surviving, but I've actually been healed Mm -hmm. of the trauma of the accident. You know, you bring up something that I found fascinating and I've noticed this, I don't know, the past couple of weeks, this has been kind of brought to my attention is that there are a lot of people out there that they will experience joy. They, They will be experiencing a time in their life where God is just, they're in a season where God is just opening doors and they're so afraid to embrace it because they're waiting for the shoe to drop. Maybe they came out of a season that was incredibly miserable and they're just waiting for something bad to happen. Is that kind of where you were at? It's exactly where I was at. And you know, Rachel, it's something I still struggle with today. And I think um, maybe a bit less now, but definitely for two years, I mean, I would turn on the news at night and have no idea what was happening. And I think, think for myself, maybe many of our listeners today, when the president said, all of a sudden, you're going to stay home for two weeks, mm-hmm. that, nobody saw that, right? right? It was so traumatizing. And I think it planted a seed within us that bad things can happen that we could never have foreseen, and that will totally devastate our life. And the endless bad news related to COVID and all these things, there was so much fear. And bad news in society. I'm afraid some of us maybe put up this new guard as a defense to say, well, I'm not going to get too happy. I'm not going to enjoy today too much because who knows what tomorrow will bring and how sad. And at least for me, when I began to realize this, at least it was the first moment of moving out of that mindset. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a moment because I've noticed talking with teachers and even nurses, people that tend to work a lot with people, and maybe you've noticed this being a college professor, but or excuse me, a university professor, but do you think that society is still impacted by the effects of the lockdown? What are you seeing as a professor? Absolutely. Now, you mentioned that I come from Florida, so we're known as the free state, Mm -hmm. and people are milling about. We started, you know, to take off our mask and and be social again I think maybe the first day right we were certainly at the front curve but sometimes Rachel even today I'll think you know what I haven't seen this person in a while Larry said that to me last night he said have you seen this friend of ours and sure enough I text him well I'm not really leaving the house you know just being careful and cautious and sometimes Rachel it astounds me that people are still not going to church out of fear Mm -hmm. they're living in this isolation and everyone has the reasons for the decisions they make but I fear for them because to be human to live life is not to do it alone but to do it in community the joys the sorrows whatever life comes our way we're meant to live life together and I still see it I see it at the kids at the playground you know some of the children you say hi to them and they act like a little one-year-old. They're five and six, but they cower behind their mom and bury their face in their mom's shirt. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking because it seems they've lost the skill of communication, of skills, of of community, and even relationships with a stranger. They can't even say hello. They can't say their name. And I think this is all because they've really been raised 
in a society where they're told to avoid other people. Mm -hmm. Which is really sad because that's not the way God created us. He created us for relationships and not just that, but he also created us for appropriate touch. And there were some people that said, and I'm not, I have to be careful when I say this because I understand, especially at the beginning, why people did what they did. But at the same time, we are two years past this and there are still people that don't want to shake your hand, don't want to give a hug. And I'm going, wow, that that's something that God put in us to want to appropriately touch other people. You know what I'm saying? I do, Rachel, and I'm glad you're saying it. And it's so sad that, you know, you have to be very careful of how you're saying what you say and clarify it. It's absolutely true. We absolutely need touch. And every single study that's done on it says all these good things in our body are produced when we're touched by another Mm. human that loves us, right? Whether it's a pat on the back, whether we're laughing and, you you know, you kind of not slap the person, but, you know, you just laugh so much you need the support to stand up almost, grab their arm. All these little things we do that are beautiful and bond us and how beautiful to greet someone that you connect with and to give them a hug. And, you know, as as we think about this, you know, some, I, I think at least we need to say, can I give you a hug? Mm-hmm. They might say no, but I've yet to know one person, including all the dark times of COVID that didn't say, sure, I will take a hug. Yeah. And some of them stood far away from me and looked very rigid and cold. And I didn't really want to hug them because I thought this is not like a warm person. <laughs> right. But my heart breaks for them. I remember what it was like. There were days when I was so dark and in tears because I longed to be held and hugged by someone that wasn't obligated, mm-hmm. like my husband and daughter. Right. My daughter wants can't want something, right? That's why I get a hug from her. Yeah. My poor husband is what he has to do. And I thought I need more than just that. Mm-hmm. And so that changed my life. I said, you know what? I... I'm dying in this world again, right? I've already been through what we've talked about and I'm feeling all these feelings come back to me because I'm isolated again and cut off and I'm choosing to stay home. But everyone has their decisions. Everyone has their reasons. For me, I decided to pick up my phone and I started to call my friends in alphabetical order, the people that I liked Mm -hmm. and said, would you like to come to my house? Yeah. And if they're too busy, fine. I'm sure four to five did. But there was one family. Well, when I got one, I stopped there because it was so you know, fear of rejection. This one family is like, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Are you available tomorrow? That's what she answered. She drove 40 minutes up with her kids. And you know what? We were instantly best friends. And that was it. We started to spend every Easter and Christmas together during the hard years. And what a gift. But you know what? It wasn't just fluke, Rachel. It wasn't just, you know, a gift from the Lord. It's because I picked up the phone and literally asked people, would you like to come over? Yeah, just taking that initiative. And I know that there have been studies done when prisoners, when they get in trouble, they're put in solitary confinement and it does incredible damage to their psyche. It's meant to be a punishment because they're causing trouble, but it it it, it ruins them in a sense. And I feel that we kind of got a taste of that during the shutdown because isolation leads to that that slow death and now you have a bunch of I don't know our family bounced back pretty well but I'm noticing a lot of other families that are really struggling with that and that it just only amplified fear and anxiety but let's go pre-covid there we're living in a world of that's you hear that so much anxiety depression where is that stemming from i mean covid aside it was happening before then 
You know, um, this is interesting. I have done my own set of research because I have this university class, and we do two assignments all the time, and they're for bonus. I don't even make the students do it. Every single student always does it. The one is to find something that's holding you captive. It's almost always social media, and make a goal for yourself and do it. Maybe it's three days without social media. Maybe it's just taking TikTok off my phone, whatever mm -hmm. they want to do. And they do this experiment. And then we have another one of um, Christian disciplines. But you know what I find? The outcome when we, when we reflect on this assignment, the students universally say the same thing. Their anxiety and depression is rooted in social media, one, and two, not having friends. And mm. they realize this in the most heavy way. It's almost like the Lord helps them through it. They shut off their social media and either they realize the incredible release they feel or they feel great anxiety because they're totally addicted and they're shocked that they can't shut off their phone for five minutes without having to shut it back on. Right. So it's very illuminating. And the students always tell me it's rooted in social media, which leads to comparison and endlessly comparing themselves to others creates so much anxiety and depression. It begins to define their life, trying to be something that is unattainable. So how sad. And, you know, you look at the statistics of anxiety and depression. Doesn't it follow the prevalence of social media in right. society? Right. And I was actually I just saw a study this morning and I wish I knew who had said it or where it was from. But the study was about because of social media, men in particular, when it comes to maybe searching for a wife or a mate, when they're on TikTok and, and all these different uh, outlets, they're seeing like the top 1% of beautiful women. And when they're out in the real world, they're not seeing the top 1% because it's not on social media. It is real life. And it's kind of messing with them that not all women are as beautiful as they would like them to be because... Do you understand where I'm going with this? Like they see the yeah. best of the best of the best. And so it kind of puts their expectations a little bit higher. And I think uh, you see that with with women, too, in that comparison. Now, what can we do? I mean, we're getting close to Christmas. That anxiety, that depression is amplifying for a lot of people. How can we help ourselves right now overcome well, I think the two things, one is eliminating the negative voices in our life that just feed anxiety and depression. And it might sound crazy, but maybe some of your listeners will be inspired to shut off their social media, whatever the apps are that are upsetting them, or just for three days. And there's, I will speak from my own experience, because I used to be addicted to social media and all of that. There's like a nothingness there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to pretend that it's positive. Some of your listeners might try this and find that they're more depressed because there's that hole in their life. There's nothing to fill it if they can't go to their phone. But I think having a plan, if I can be very practical, Rachel, having a plan for what you're going to do instead. And in my little world, we have an entire box of activities that my four-year-old loves. So instead of watching TV, she never watches TV, but I have a list of things we can do, this craft, that puzzle. And in short, whether you have kids or not, it's about replacing the negative voices and all the electronics with real living, with being present in our relationships, present in our family, with our kids, with our spouse, with our friends, maybe our neighbors. 
right? Maybe it drives you to go out for a walk every day as a break from your phone and you see someone and you say hi and they give you your name and all of a sudden you have another connection. And I think, Rachel, for most of us, extrovert or introvert, those moments of real living and of human connection are what brightens our day. And we return to our work feeling better with our shoulders lifted high because we've had a real moment of life. Well, too, you made the point of, you know, comparison when we're on social media, but also if we spend so much time on social media, we don't know how to talk to people uh, because you don't have to. And I know for our family, I mean, my kids are not on social media, but everything is done in technology. And I've had to force my kids to make phone calls whether it's practicing with grandma and grandpa or ordering a pizza or something, because I have found that the younger generation does not know how to talk to people because of social media. Are you seeing that in your classroom as well? 100%. We are not allowed to have phones or even laptops in my classroom. I keep it all off. We go old school and take notes. And they sit there quietly with their head down. And I'm almost checking to see if they got their phone back out. They haven't. They just don't know what to say. Mm. So Rachel, I make it a joke and I make fun of myself as best I can as a context. But we review what to say. What can you say when you walk in? Hello, what's your name? How's your day? Where are you from? Maybe. Did you have a class today? What's your major? And I make it silly because I don't want to embarrass them. But it's a practical skill that I'm trying to teach them. And you know what? It's amazing. Everything in life, God's made us beautifully, right? We practice a little bit and suddenly our fear diminishes and we develop our skills again. So by the end of the the end of the semester, I'm endlessly saying, okay, guys, okay, enough talking, right? We're starting class 10 minutes late because they talk and talk and share and it's beautiful. But we need to help others develop these skills. And I think Another thing, Rachel, talking on the phone, you say talking to strangers. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times do people get their groceries, leave, and they don't even look up? Or everything's electronic. Scan it yourself, right? Avoid the person. But I think if we're going to emerge out of isolation and be Jesus to others, it involves lifting up our head, looking at people in the eye, and talking to them about anything. Just a little bit of chit-chat and brightening their day. Yeah, and you and I grew up in the generation of the 80s and 90s of stranger danger where you don't talk to strangers. So there was that automatic fear of, I don't know you, and I'm not going to talk to you because you're a stranger. And that's not realistic. I mean, our lives are filled with talking with strangers (laughs) every day, right? Um, So let's talk a little bit about your book, and I'll make sure that I put your book in the show notes, Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study, and you go in just to great detail about uh, a handful of women in scripture, but then you also ask some really poignant questions. But let's talk a little bit about Mary, because Mary, I don't know if you want to call it trauma, but she went through a huge life change like you did. And I know that you kind of compare your, or you can relate to Mary a little bit with your life. So go into detail a little bit about that as Christmas is coming. It's just so appropriate to talk about her. Yes, I think we can absolutely acknowledge that she was a beautiful example of faithfulness. She was humble. She was righteous. God chose her because she was righteous. She had God's favor. But at the same time, we can admit that the angel appearing to her unannounced out of nowhere, was traumatizing. Her whole life was changed. 
And, you know, we would, of course, say change for the better. But in what ways was it traumatizing? Well, here she is going to have a child out of wedlock, not accepted in her society and culture, in her community, her family. Did they even believe her or did they think she was crazy? And what would it even mean to have the son of God? It's something that was never done before. Imagine simply the fear of the unknown. So I think we can say absolutely the events speak for themselves that it was traumatizing. And also, Rachel, what does she do? Well, she leaves her family unit and goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And for those who have been pregnant, at least my journey, I needed a lot of support. I couldn't even get up off my seat without help from my Mm, husband. Um, So what a time to choose to leave your support system and go elsewhere. To me, Rachel, that shows that there was a lot going on that scripture doesn't talk about, but perhaps it was a relief from her to get away from her family unit and Mm. just escape it all. Again, speaking to the isolation, Mm -hmm. the stress, the fears that any of us would encounter with an announcement like the angel made. No, that is really a good thought. I didn't think about that, that there was that isolation with her family because well, I mean, I mean, we speculate, you know what I mean? Because we know the history of what life was like back then. It's not like now if somebody out of wedlock shows up pregnant, you know, nobody thinks twice. But back then that was a huge deal. And, you know, Joseph says that he wasn't going to marry her. He was going to divorce her quietly. But then, you know, receives the dream from the Lord to marry her. And I wonder what is going on in Mary's head at that moment. I just wonder if she ever thought, well, yeah, he says he, he, he'll marry me and he does marry me, but will he leave me? Will he, you know, think yeah. that this is a hoax and, and will he leave me? But she, she kind of reminds me of you in a sense where she says, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I mean, Aww. you're, 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 you're one of those really driven people. You have a goal in mind. You're just going to do it. And she says, you know what, I'm just going to submit to the Lord and I'm going to do it. Um, do you see a connection between, someone's calling and someone's suffering because you know you suffered a lot and you're using what you suffered in your accident in your calling today mary suffered quite a bit and that was used to bring about jesus so do you see that connection there sure and we look at the loss of jesus right we see jesus we see mary at the cross when Jesus is dying, the worst death possible for any mother to see. And we know all kinds of the suffering, everything. And I think we can say this as mothers, anything that happened to Jesus would have pierced her heart. Mm -hmm. And she's with them all the time. We always find her in scripture close to Jesus, right? So she's there a witness to the ridicule, the lies about Jesus, the opposition he faces. And of course it cuts her to the heart. So we see her suffering, but what can we say about her own calling? And there's a sense, maybe some of us have a specific calling, but as people of faith, we all have the general calling like Mary to bear Christ. Mm-hmm. Now she bears it, him literally, of course, but for us to bear Christ, to bring Christ to the world, the message of Christ, the words of Christ, the life of Christ in our example, in our actions. And Rachel, in I think every society, certainly today, when we take a stand for the things of God, we will always find opposition. And if we're going to have opposition and we're going to face the hostility, well, then we're going to suffer in some sense. And we have many freedoms in America, but I think as people of faith, if we're going to be loud about our faith and loud about our values, we will absolutely suffer for it. 
Now, when you're talking, what I hear is if I am suffering from fear, anxiety, depression, God can use that. Well, the fear, the anxiety, depression, that is a sense that can be a sense of a result of our calling. But I think also whatever we're called to, we can, you know, choose to move forward, whether we Mm -hmm. feel um, afraid or not. We look at Mary's life and you said this, she decides to accept God's calling. She decides to say, Lord, whatever your will is, may it be done in my life, even though she could never have seen it ahead. So I think sometimes there's a sense where we accept our calling and we accept that that might include suffering. Mm -hmm. And in terms of depression and the connection to suffering, I think we can look at some of the prophets, Jeremiah above all. It's depressing when you're bringing the message of Christ to the world and it's not received and you're ridiculed and people ignore you because you want the best for them, right? You want their healing, their salvation. You want them to experience the life you've experienced in Christ, but that's usually, or at least often, not the way the message of the Lord is received. Yeah. And I just think it's an important message to send that no matter where you're at, as far as if you're going through depression, anxiety, fear that you can overcome and then whatever you suffered in that it can be used for God's glory, bringing those ashes into beauty. Now, before we close, is there if, okay, let me reword this. If there is someone out there today that is really struggling with anxiety, maybe it is amplified right now with the Christmas season. They know that they need to choose joy, but they are struggling with that. What advice would you give that person today? I think the greatest source of hope is to fix our eyes on what is possible in the Lord. And we can never see the goodness that God will bring in our life tomorrow from our position today. So as people of faith, we have the opportunity to hold on to the promises of God and to choose thankfulness and to choose to get up and move forward, even in the midst of suffering. And that's been life changing in my own life to have hope and to believe that God has a future for me. And I think another way of dealing with these struggles in the day-to-day is the old adage of being thankful for our blessings and to count our blessings, to be thankful every day. And it's just a reminder that we do have sources of joy. And I think sometimes in my own life, I've been so narrow-minded and have one problem and I over-focus on it, but being able to move towards surrendering it to God and finding joy in the blessings he has given us. I think, Rachel, that is a source of hope and peace in our hearts if we can capture that sense of thankfulness. Yeah, no, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Marina, Dr. Marina Hoffman, her book is Women in the Bible, a small group Bible study. It is available on Amazon. You can also follow Marina on uh, Instagram. Uh, Marina, thank you so much for being here. I really... let me reword that. I always appreciate our uh, our conversations together. Thank you so much and a special greeting and God bless to all our listeners today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Meet on Purpose podcast. And thank you, Dr. Hoffman, for being vulnerable enough to share your story. And if you find yourself in that place, do not walk this journey alone please reach out to a counselor, a church, or a friend. Unique on Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. So don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, 
you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next week.